This Microphilosophy podcast is the second of a three-part series examining why the debate over trans rights has become so divisive. It is presented with only pauses and verbal fumbles edited out, in order to ensure both sides are fairly represented. If you haven't already listened to part one, I strongly advise that you do so before continuing. My guests are the philosophers Katerina Dutil-Novais and Mary Leng. Katerina earlier sort of mentioned this term essentialism, and it's a kind of, I think both sides have been accused of it in different ways. Um, so Katerina, what is essentialism, and, and in what ways are the gender-critical feminists accused of adhering to that? Well, I think essentialism, there are many versions of essentialism, but specifically in the debates pertaining to gender and sex. And that's also something that is a discussion even prior to uh, these discussions, specifically with respect to trans rights, right? So this is a, a very old, important question for feminism in general, right? And essentialism would be, well, if you have an essentialist view of womanhood, you really think that there is this one thing, this one feature that all women possess, right? So, of course, it's a very old metaphysical position. It goes all the way back to Aristotle, uh, the idea that a species, you know, what makes a, a member of a species, belo- a species belong to that species is that it has the essence that uh, it characterizes the species. And that also means that it cannot, could not be some other, some something else, right? So the, the essence is inherent in the individual and should the individual not have that essence the individual would not be the individual that same individual anymore right so this is kind of the the traditional notion of essentialism that goes back to aristotle so aristotle is an essentialist with respect to humanity right he thinks it's something essential that makes us humans right so our essence as our usia as humans and that if you transpose this to to the questions that we're discussing here right then it becomes the question whether there really is something some essence something fundamental that makes us uh, at the metaphysical level that will right so as an individual property of the individual that will make that person a man or a woman or something else and in particular, uh, what I find very interesting, and I think you already mentioned that, Julian, is that I, I, as, I, I, as an anti-essentialist, I see essentialism everywhere in both camps. And I, and I think this is extremely problematic. So the way uh, Mary described at the beginning the, what we're calling here the trans-inclusive position, namely right, that the idea that you know, what d- defines whether I'm a woman or not is my identity, how I perceive myself, how I feel many versions of this position are extremely essentializing, right? And I have philosophical qualms with this formulation of the position, right? And, and of course, on the, on the gender critical side, we have a similar thing. Again, not all people defend this view, but many people would say, well, what is essential to being a woman is the biological features that women, females have. Right, and that is what is essential. And since you cannot change that in a trans person, you, there's we still don't have the technology that all uh, uh, chromosomes in the body of somebody will be just switched around. Since we don't have this technology, and, and it is essential to a woman to have two X chromosomes and you know all the secondary uh, phenotypical features that will be entailed by this chromosomal structure, this is what is essential to being a woman. This cannot be changed. So trans people cannot become a woman. So you hear, at least, I don't know, Mary, if you agree, but this is one way in which the, the view is often presented. And, and right, so it's very essentialist, right? 
And then on the side, on the trans-inclusive side, when people say, well, what defines what my gender is, how I perceive myself, this is something inherent to me that comes from within, as it were. That also strikes me as an essentialist way of formulating this. And this is where I want to add a caveat, right? That's why I said at some point, not being a trans person myself, there are parts of the trans experience that I really still fail to understand. And this is one of them. I really don't, I just, I take their word for it because I just don't have this experience. I find a very, uh, yeah, personally cannot quite conceive of this, uh, having a feeling that clashes with the way you're socialized. But that's because for me, as it happens, I'm just a cis person. And I was born, uh, I was assigned a female at birth. I was socialized as a girl. I never felt any kind of clash. So I cannot relate to this particular experience, right? So that's why while on the philosophical, uh, at the philosophical level, I have qualms with this way of formulating uh, the, 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 the whole idea of what gender is because I, it, smacks as a, a, uh, it smacks of essentialism. And I'm generally speaking philosophically always anti-essentialist. But I do feel that there's a part of the, the experience of having this clash that I just cannot comprehend from my perspective. So I just pass judgment there, just suspend judgment on this particular question, whether this is a real thing or not, because I'm, I'm not positioned to, to have an opinion on this. Mary, how, how does, how does the gender-critical feminist respond to this charge of essentialism? Because it does sound, on the face of it, it does sound like it's an essentialist position, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when I've discussed this with Katarina before, I've said, well, actually, I just see it as realism to say that there are male and female bodies and that, that they're different from each other. But what I always thought of as the bad essentialism, um, to really understand what's what's going on there, I think we have to move, look at the sex-gender distinction. So we have sex, male and female, and then gender, let's call it man-woman. And historically, that's been thought of as, okay, well, we've got male and female people, and then there's a system of gender that codes them differently, and it says men have to be this kind of way. They have to be, they have to have the masculine attributes of being strong and rational and uh, bold and risk-taking and all of these kinds of things. And All the things I'm not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then female people uh, get coded as women, and to be women, they have to be weak and they have to be emotional and they have to be um, non-rational, a-rational and, uh, uh, and so on. I, I, I don't want to remind myself of all the terrible traits we're meant to have. Um, and, and, and oh, this pretty, pretty, right? We're supposed pretty, to be pretty. Uh, uh, yeah, caring about their appearance, um, not interested in politics or philosophy, right? Um, and actually, this, this is, I, I mentioned at the beginning, kind of where I came in as a graduate student to, to these discussions, talking about the woman mathematician, right? So I, I looked then at how the gendered category woman had been constructed and the category of mathematician had been constructed in a way that to be a proper woman, to be a real woman, you had to be not a rational person you had to to not be able to to deal with abstract thought you had to be concerned with um, the material and the emotional and to be a mathematician you had to be uber abstract you had to have no interest in anything material at all in such a way that it was impossible for there to be a woman mathematician and there, there was the old joke not very funny joke that used, used to be told you know uh there have only ever been two two women mathematicians one of them wasn't a woman and the other wasn't a mathematician a, a joke that was it was still told to me as if it was funny when I moved to Cambridge in 2002 I think it was but the thought behind that joke is is there in these 
essence ideas, right? There's, so there's one woman mathematician who was uh, Sophie Kowaleski, who was very beautiful and certainly looked properly womanly. And so she was dealt with by, oh, well, you can't be a woman mathematician, so she can't really have been a real mathematician. On the other hand, you had Emmy Noether, who was clearly a fantastic mathematician. And so she was dealt with by, she was called Der Noether, and she was dealt with by saying, well, she's, she's not a real woman. Right? And, and there's something to that idea that to be a real woman, you can't be a mathematician or a philosopher or any of these other things. And so that, that's what I thought was the bad essentialism that, that feminists complained about was to say, for female people, for them to be genuine women, they have to have all of these uh, feminine qualities. Uh, and my reading of how feminism developed was to try and challenge that and strip away all of these features of womanhood. And say, so, so what I thought the end point was to say, well, no, to be a woman, you just have to be female and, and that's it. <laughs> you don't have to be not a, not rational and, and you don't have to care more about clothes and numbers or whatever, right? Um, so, so that, that's, that's why I, I, I think found it somewhat surprising to see people wanting to say, no, 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 to be a woman has got nothing to do with being female, because then it looked to me like you would have to say, and perhaps this gets to the essentialism that Katrina sees on the trans side, it looks like you then have to see being a woman as being something else. And it's hard for me to see how that's not just essentializing all those characteristics that we, I'd thought we'd done a lot, an awful lot of work in stripping away from um, the categories. Yeah, it's like this is one of the, one of the concerns, right? That, uh, that, you know, if trans women then want to appropriate this stereotypically Womanly, womanly features as the markers of being a woman. It just seems counter to a lot of what feminists had fought for for many decades, right? So that's what, like, at least one thing you hear. I mean, I'm not saying I endorse the view, but this is a thing that that you hear people uh, articulate also as a worry sometimes. So I mean, I, 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 trans women, I think often say, and I think this, this is true, that they're in a kind of a double bind because if they don't present in an uber feminine way, people will say, oh well. In what way are you a woman then? But if they do, people will also say, oh, well, aren't you just anti-feminist and uh, uh, making things step back? So there's been a move, actually, for there to be more sort of gender non-conforming trans women, and, and, and they get a lot of criticism for probably from both <laughs> sides. But, uh, um, but, you know, what, what, what does it even mean then to say your identity is as a woman if, if it's not to do with somehow endorsing these or at least identifying with these things that are typically wound up in the stereotypes around? around womanhood. Can I just clarify this uh, scientific realist view to take? Because I think this is worth uh, pressing home. So the idea here would be that we say that male and female are, are real categories in biology, not because there is a single thing which is the essence of this, but that, you know, if as a scientist one understands there's a cluster of characteristics, not all of which every example has, and there are fuzzy yeah. cases and there are indeterminate cases, but for the majority of cases, as a biologist whatever it is, 95, 99%, whatever it is, all members of that species are going to fit into these categories. And so it's not about there being an absolute mark of this is male, this is female, and it's the one thing, right? Is, is that the, the way to understand it? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose not not all categories, or not very many categories are given by necessary and sufficient, a simple list of necessary and sufficient conditions. But I, I take the view that the categories that get recognised in biology and our explanations of phenomena are genuine categories and they're doing doing work even if they don't have 
of those lists. Yeah, so here I think Mary and I have a philosophical disagreement, not a political one, right? I think you are a scientific realist yeah. and not. So yeah. it starts with that, right? I mean, I can say, uh, well, you know, sex is real, but in speaking as a non-realist in science, so I'm just saying, well, you know, there are these characteristics that are interesting to be tracked for scientific purposes, but you may as well actually might be that in, you know, as science keeps progressing, biology in this case, it might be that in a hundred years from now we'll have new scientific categories, right? And so that's one one way in which you can be, a, I think, in a coherent way, a non-scientific anti-realist, right? So I'm basically I'm a Carnapian. I always say this, I'm a Carnapian. I'm all for you know you just you know you choose conceptual categories that are uh, likely to be fruitful for scientific inquiry for scientific explanation. But they are not really, because Carnap was an anti-metaphysics, of course, person, right, as a member of the Vienna Circle and also somebody who read a lot of Nietzsche. He, uh, he really didn't really think that, you know, what these conceptual structures were doing was to be tracking real essences in, in the world. So anyway, so that's kind of more or less where I am. And I think that's one place where Mary and I already start parting ways. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely a Quinean, right? And I also don't think that there's these metaphysical real essences, but I, I do think, well, if a particular categorization is being used and is useful in our best science, those pragmatic reasons for using them are also reasons for believing that that's what the world's but how like. You- With the caveat that, yes, things may change. We, exactly. we, might, discover, we might discover that actually we weren't, we didn't have things quite so right now. But as a going concern, what we ought to believe today is these categories. But if we, I mean, whereas I'm like kind of, you know, if you look at the history of science and you see so many times that we've fundamentally changed our, our basic scientific categories, that tells me, well, we you know, we shouldn't really hypothesize these categories, the ones that we happen to have at this point, because we're just at a contingent a stage of development of science. So I guess that's at least one part where Mary and I disagree, which has nothing to do in itself with our disagreements pertaining to trans rights. So that's kind of interesting. Again, what I find interesting about that is that, you know, these are, you're, you're describing different positions in philosophy, which in normal circumstances would not be associated with anything either hateful or, or prejudicial. But when they apply to this debate, it seems that they, they do. And I think we've already said quite a bit about uh, why, why that um, may be the case. But um, before we, I mean, we, we have, touched on issues of politics and policy already before we focus more squarely on that and you may again this may be something you both of you find a bit difficult to talk about because neither of you are trans but so much of this debate is around how we ought to take seriously what trans people are telling us so you mentioned so you know sophie grace chapel who says you know we should just people are generally who they say they are we should believe trans people when they say so. When Sophie Grace Chapel, who was a side male at birth and, and published as the name of Timothy for a long time, Sophie Grace said, I'm a woman. We have that kind of this basic respect to, base, to, to respect that and to, to acknowledge that and to say, say you are. But if one's view is that there is such a thing as biological sex and that is not something that the person can be, how, how is it possible then to properly respect that very firmly held subjective view and not be dismissive, not to caveat it away, but at the same time to allow for the fact that, you know, there may be biological difference there? Is it possible to square that circle? Because I think, and you know, one question I have here about this is that 
you know, if one says, look, we fully acknowledge the reality of the experience, what we accept is you feel you are a woman. And, you know, maybe philosophically you're making an essentialist mistake there or something, but it doesn't matter. That's what you feel. That's not the same as your, as your, as your, um, your sex. A lot of trans people, you know, for them, I, I am a woman for a trans woman is just a statement of fact for them. And to caveat that with saying, yes, but that's not the same as your biological sex isn't part of the problem is it leaves the person in a position where it looks like they have, you know, what's called gender dysphoria. It looks like this is not just a fundamental statement of who they are. It's basically an admission of having some kind of mental disorder, frankly, you know, a a condition, a dysphoria. And I can see how that that might be offensive to somebody and it might not be the best way of putting it. So is, is there a way of fully acknowledging that first person testimony in a way which does due respect, but is also truthful. So I'm a great advocate of two categories, one of sex and another of gender identity, and having recognition for both of those. And I think gender identity is something that should be recognized on the basis of sincere self-identification. So people should be able to say, here's the gender identifier I I identify as, and if they want documentation uh, that reflects that and so on, they they should be able to do that. But I I think we should also, we should keep that characteristic separate from sex. And where it matters, we should be able to say, okay, well, on this occasion, it's sex that we're looking at not gender identity and and then and then the questions are well where where does sex matter where does gender identity matter and and so on but i I think it's it's really important if there's not going to be a clash of rights and if we're not going to mess up our ability to collect meaningful statistics to to keep those two things separate and recognize them both separately um and this is what's um being Argued against in uh, in the name of trans rights in the Yogi Carter principle. So, so principle thirty one says ideally we we shouldn't have any um, legal recognition of sex or gender. But if we do have recognition, it should be gender identity alone. And so, um, where sex or gender is recorded, it should be on the basis of self definition. So, in other words, people can self identify into their sex as, as much as into a gender identity. I think this is a, a bad mistake and i think it's not needed for for proper recognition of people's gender identities we need to recognize there are two things here there's sex there's gender identity and one one thing i like actually in in sophie grace's um writings in in her adoption analogy she she she's very clear on this right she says you know what she's asking for as a trans person is is to be considered as woman but she's not saying that she is female and she recognizes that sometimes there'll be cases where 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 it might matter but she she wants to say well in most cases it 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 shouldn't and we should be treat people um in accordance with the gender they identify as well that's interesting because i mean before we come in katharina i mean it it does seem to me that the solution you're proposing clearly is not going to satisfy at least um a large number of trans people because you're you are still making that distinction and I guess it comes into how yeah. we sort of properly understand this, what's become a slogan, trans women are women and trans men are men. I mean, the, the paper you referred to by um, Sophie Grace suggests that, you know, in the same way, so, you know, adoptive parents are parents, right? This is what we say, adoptive parents are parents. We, we don't say they're not real parents, they are real parents. Yeah. But there is still a distinction between adoptive parents and biological parents. So it's a distinction we normally don't worry about, but sometimes do. 
But it does seem to me that when, uh, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but when a lot of people say trans women and women are trans men are men, they, they, they mean that in a sense that it is the final word and there are no circumstances under which you should say, yes, but trans women are women, but they're not women in the same way that a, a biological woman is. So uh, I can see the attraction of your point of view, but I don't see how it's going to meet um, a lot of demands. And also, I'm getting this yes, that very strong says people have that they just are a woman full stop, and therefore, or a man, if it's a trans man, and therefore they, they do not want to have that caveated. Yeah, I, I agree it's not going to meet what's being asked for, and that's why I see that there is this clash of rights, right? So there's this demand being made to say, okay, gender identity overall, um, get rid of sex completely, don't make that legally irrelevant as a category. And I, I, I think that's, as a, I think female people should be very nervous about, about this, right? It's not, it's not in our interests for sex categories not to be recognised and protected. So yes, you're right, it's not going to satisfy all the demands of trans activism. It is, I think, the only way we can get to some kind of compromise is to say, well, we recognise there are two things here and in many contexts we can treat them as one, but we have to sometimes, we have to reserve the right to say, okay, on, on, on this occasion, actually, sex is what we're looking at. Catherine, what do you reckon? Yes. Yeah, I think this really this is a helpful way of thinking of of formulating the, the the disagreement actually that say somebody like me and somebody like Mary have with each other. So uh, I I'm always thinking in terms of say you know costs, benefits, fits, and, and risks involving involved in policy decisions. And so now we're really kind of leaving behind the whole metaphysical discussion. Let's just think about like you know do should we should we have two categories? legally recognized right not even scientifically we're talking legally so should we have two categories legally recognized gender and sex or should we have only one namely gender and i don't think mary for one certainly not but i also don't recall anyone saying that we should not count gender at all and you should just go with sex but that's also paul that's a well that, that's the, that's the trump position right so yeah, um, so it so yeah, it is yeah. it is a position right but so let's just take these two positions now right so uh, only gender and as a legal category don't need sex as a as a legal category or you need both even if i think mary would say for most intents and purposes gender will still be the one that counts in, in these legal contexts occasionally in important situations the sex categories legal categories will matter right so that, then we have two options here in terms of policy choices that we may want to make and uh the point is that then, then think about the advantages and disadvantages of each of them right as with all policy choices nothing will ever be perfect so there'll be costs and benefits associated with both so where i think mary and i disagree one of the points where we disagree is that i'm not convinced that making the gender category the main or perhaps even <clears throat> sorry perhaps even the only legal category relevant how that is going to be so problematic for what she describes as female people this is the part where i think we really still haven't you know we still disagree quite fundamentally i've read many of the arguments right coming from the gender critical uh, side on why it would be so problematic for females if the category of sex is completely uh, abolished as a legal category, and I'm just not convinced. I do think, for example, for medical purposes, we still need 
to keep the category, the sex categories on the table, because, you know, as a trans woman, the kind of care you need to get, you know, related to, to your, to your health will be different from the ones that a cis woman will get. Right. And the same thing for trans men, etc. So for medical purposes, I still think it's definitely important to keep these categories on the table, but for legal purposes, it's not clear to me yet, having read many of these arguments, why it would be such a disaster if legally speaking, sex categories are no longer playing an important role in these policies, policy decisions that we make. That I think is the crux of the disagreement between at least the way Mary and I uh, now see the, the, the debate. Well, that, you just said, you've nicely segued into this part of the session. We now focus on that, which I think is going to be the crux for both of us. But before we do, I guess it's worth spending a bit of time at the moment to consider the fact that the very discussion you just had is one which I believe, tell me if I'm wrong again, my impression is the discussion we've just had is one that a lot of people on the trans-inclusive side say we shouldn't even be having. But why is it something we should not even be discussing? And I, obviously you are discussing it, so you don't take this view, but you, you're close enough to debate to have some idea about why some people think it shouldn't be discussed. Yes, so I was actually rereading a paper by Talia Betcher in preparation for this conversation, a paper on the uh, philosophy compass of a few years ago. And she was pointing out that exactly that there are these two strategies, right? There are these two uh, approaches. And so one camp says this discussion, discussion shouldn't even be had. And Talia herself also says, I side with, uh, with the people who think that they, this discussion should be had. And uh, Robin Danbrough, for example, also says, well, we should have this discussion because we don't have the luxury of not having the, this, this discussion. It's way too important. So, so you're absolutely right, Julian, that there are different views on whether this discussion should be take, taking place at all or not. And I kind of see the, the points from the side of people who claim that this discussion should not be had at all. It's beyond the pale. It's preposterous to even ask these questions. But I don't think, uh, practically speaking, that would be disastrous, right? Because we still need to, you know, there's still, there's still practical policy decisions that need to be made. There are still people, another reason why I get involved in these discussions is because there are a lot of people out there who don't have a, a fixed view yet. And I think they deserve to be exposed to, to be the best arguments on both sides so they can make up their minds on that. So I do, you know, as you said, of course, Mary and I are obviously to people who think this discussion can and should be had. But you are right that a lot of people uh, think that it's even, there shouldn't even be a discussion at all because these questions shouldn't even be raised. Yeah, but, what, but, but why shouldn't they be raised? And why is it outrageous to even ask the question? So that's the thing I think a lot of people struggle with who are on the outside of this because they'll listen to, they say, Mary, for example, could be wrong, but it doesn't sound to me like she's wrong because she's, she's hateful or because she wants trans people to have bad lives, or she wants to deny them right. But that, I think it has to do with what, the, what you yourself described, the recognition of identity. And this is where I think, right, so the trans people, uh, time and again, describe, express how important it is, how almost like life-threatening it is when they're not recognized in, their, in, their, in the gender they, they, they uh, identify with. So I think, you know, it's really something that is so personal. It's at the core. It's very easy for us. We're not, none of us is a trans person. It's very easy for us to have this discussion at this level that is very much, you know, at the kind of intellectual level with a certain detachment. But when it comes to something that is so, you know, deep, ingrained 
and 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 which really influences so much your daily living. I mean, the fact that these people are not the trans people often are not recognized with the gender they identify with. This is something that they have to live every day. And just to give an example, I remember a few years ago there was a piece by Peter Singh and Jeff McMahon on that whole debate. I don't know if you remember at Rutgers there was a a, a woman professor who was accused of having abused a. a, a a disabled uh, person that she cared for. And I remember when I read their piece, which was by two men talking about, you know, sexual harassment and abuse, I got so mad. I was swearing on, on Facebook and people are like, you never do this. What, what's happening to you? I said, I said, because this, this got really personal. Having been the victim of sexual abuse of as almost all women, this feels personal to me. And that they say these things is personally offensive. So this is the closest I can get to what it must feel like for a trans person to have their the, the core of their identity questioned, right? With these so-called scientific questions that are being asked. So that's how I'm trying to place myself in their position, right? So that's my best try at making sense of, of why it feels so offensive. So, but I, I don't know how, you know, how close I am to... To, to something that resembles their experience. So I'll just keep it at that. Good. So, and Mary, you must, you must be aware that a lot of people do respond to that. So Yeah, I, 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 I see Katrina's point. Uh, you know, I don't have a strong sense of a gender identity and, and so it's easy for me to think, oh, well, it's it needs recognising but perhaps shouldn't be at the forefront and be the one thing that matters, right? On the other hand, though... I could get equally annoyed at people denying the p- political importance of sex, right? As someone who has suffered from sexism to again and again have people saying, this isn't a category that needs legal protection, legal recognition. That's upsetting to me, really, right? Um, now, of course, it's not just trans people who are saying this. Katerina is also um, open to the idea that sex should not be a legally protected category. And if we're if we're going to to get personal and offended about things that matter to us, like I, I, I suppose um, on, on the side of women, I think many of us are disturbed that many people who are not themselves female are, are not seeing being female as a politically relevant feature. I mean, it's worth worth pointing out. I think I don't think this is mansplaining because I'm simply reporting, but. Um, trans experience is is very diverse, and yeah, there are trans people who have no problem at all. Um, I think Kathleen Sockingen quotes someone saying, "I'm a I'm a trans woman and I'm a biological male," and that for them, those two facts yeah. are are actually inseparable in a way. So, and I think perhaps one one problem here is that people do have the idea that there is there's there's one trans experience and there's one trans viewpoint, and therefore to to raise any disputes here is in effect to go against the entire trans community, um, yeah. which is perhaps not fair. Thank you for listening. You can find links to the other podcasts in this series and much more at my website, julianbergini.com. If you'd like to support my work and make more advert-free podcasts like this possible, please consider becoming a supporter, which gives you exclusive or early access to a wide range of content. Full details are on the website. So until next time, if nothing prevents, goodbye.